for your great Holy Spirit that helps us, that upholds us, that sees us through. Thank you, Father, for opening your word to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I want to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. It certainly is his message. And he's inspired by the Holy Ghost. And he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The Bible says that the things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament were landmarks. They were examples, King James says in samples, but they mean, it means examples to us of how God dealt with them. And in many cases, unfortunately, their rebellion against God. It's an interesting thing to me that the church, which is primarily a Gentile church at this point, there's some things that take place during the, the tribulation where God reaches millions of the Jews and identifies, and they identify as part of his family as a result. They come to Jesus as well. But the Gentile church worldwide needs to know about Israel, Jewish history if you're going to walk in the things that God has for us. And the things that are identified in the Old Testament that are landmark examples for us. One of the, the biggest ones, the most significant ones, is when Israel failed to trust God, rebelled against God, when they came to the edge of the promised land. Now, folks, when it talks about they, have a, they had an evil heart of unbelief. And that's something we need to guard against. Then that identifies for us that God really wanted them to go into the promised land 40 years before they did. His plan was for Moses to bring them to the promised land. Enter in, take possession of the land through faith. And God would be their champion and their victor. But they changed the plan of God. They, the children of Israel, because God gave man authority on the earth, they changed what his perfect plan was. And a whole generation died out in the wilderness as they wandered for 40 years. So we see and know from the Bible history the unbelief that they operated in. 
the condition of unbelief in their heart or from their heart. But what did God want for them instead? He wanted for them to take possession of the promised land. He wanted to be their God and them to be his people and enter right into the promised land and take possession of God's promise. Now the Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So there was something that God had provided for them that they rejected, certainly. But there's something that God did or the some things that God did which were designed to bring them into a position of faith so they could take possession of what God had promised. Let's look back in the Old Testament to see what things God did that were designed to inspire and create faith in their hearts so that they could take possession of God's promises. Back in Exodus chapter 15, there are, um, well, we know that when Israel was in bondage in Egypt, there were 10 plagues that took place that God brought executed judgment on the, um, the gods of Egypt. The first one you remember was the Nile River turning into blood. The second one was the frogs that came up from the Nile River after the, uh, the curse of, on the water was lifted. And then the third one was uh, uh, the creation of gnats. King James says lice, but it's really the, the word for gnats. And then after that, God separated Israel, who lived in the land of Goshen, from the rest of the plagues. So they experienced the first three, the Nile River turning to blood, the frogs filling the land. It goes into detail saying that uh, frogs were in the kneading troughs and just everywhere that you could find a, a place there was a frog. And then the gnats, which is just a uh, inconvenience plague against the Egypt's gnat god or whatever you'd call them. But after that, Israel is certainly made aware of the other things that take place, the other uh, plagues and, and destructions that come, apart, that come upon uh, the Egyptians because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And God said, God describing the plagues when he was talking to Moses, is that he said this, that, he, that uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians would see his glory. Now, there's a couple of different words used for glory in the Old Testament. But the one that is always used when God speaks of himself is a word that means weighty. In other words, it's talking about the power of God, the might of God. And that's what he said that the whole earth would be filled with. When he said the whole earth would be filled with my glory, he's talking about his weighty presence. I, I know it's, it's kind of difficult to translate 
so that you get the entirety of the, the meaning. But God said that the whole earth would be filled with the glory, with his glory, the weightiness of his presence, the weightiness of his might, the weightiness of his power. It's hard to describe spiritual things in physical or natural terms. But you remember the story, how that Pharaoh finally, after the death of the firstborn, the last of the ten plagues, Pharaoh finally said to Moses that the people could go. But then in his own grief, after a couple of days, after, uh, because of his own grief, he decided to send the army, his army, and chariots and horsemen and the might of Egypt, and they were the, the superpower of the world at that time. He sent his, the fullness of his army to destroy Israel. And you remember the, the place that they were at when Egypt came against them. There were mountains on the right and mountains on the left and the Red Sea behind them. And so Moses cries out, the people cry out first to Moses, what are we going to do? We'll be destroyed. Moses says to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then turns to the Lord and says, what are we going to do? And God kind of uh, upbraids him a little bit. He said, what are you crying out to me for? Which in my estimation would be the perfect time to cry out to the Lord. But he tells him, you're the one that's been given authority. Take the rod that you've used in so many other of these plagues to bring them about. Take the rod and stretch it out over the Red Sea. And when he does that, the, pot, the water is parted. There's a, the pillar of fire standing between Egypt and Israel so that Egypt can't advance on them with their military. And it says that the wind blew and dried out a place as the Red Sea was parted for Israel to go across on dry land. Well, Israel makes it across. God tells Moses, now stretch the rod out over the sea again. And when he does, the, the chariots and the armies of Pharaoh that is chased after them because the, fire, the pillar of fire is removed, they all drowned in the sea. Now, folks, this all happened in the sight of Israel. Israel is watching what's taking place. They're watching the pillar of fire uh, protect them and keep the Egyptian army at bay. They saw themselves walking through the Red Sea on dry land. The Bible says in their song of thanksgiving for God's deliverance, that the waters were congealed. Now, the only thing I know about congealed is jello. But apparently, it was something along that line because the waters became solid to some degree to allow them to go across on dry land. They're watching these things happen. They're watching Moses be the instrument of God's power to deliver them. 
He's the one that stretches out the rod. He's the one that stretches out the rod the second time and brings the water down upon the Egyptian army. They're watching him do this. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I can just imagine if I was part of the people of Israel and I'm seeing this happen, I'm going to come away with the idea that Moses is a pretty big deal. I know it's the power of God and not Moses' power, and he never tries to claim any credit for anything that he did or anything that God used him. But I'm going to think that Moses is pretty hot stuff. And I'm going to come away thinking, since God uses Moses in this way, whatever Moses says, I'm going to pay attention to. Now, in Exodus chapter 15, the first part of the chapter is their song of deliverance. They're rejoicing because of the destruction of the Egyptian army. They're rejoicing because of God's deliverance. The victory that he's brought to them. But as, God, as Moses brings Israel along the path that God has for them. Let's start reading in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they were, went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when he came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. Look at verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, folks, the, the big problem, the major problem that Israel has, not only during the time of the wilderness experience, but one of the biggest problems Israel has is that they go from murmuring against Moses in one case to the next case to the next case to the next thing. And when they murmur against Moses, they're rebelling against God. It took them three days to start murmuring. Three days from the greatest victory maybe ever that's been brought about on this earth through the intervention and direction of God. They saw with their own eyes the Red Sea part. They saw with their own eyes the water stand up in heaps congealed in the midst of the Red Sea. They saw with their own eyes that these things took place because Moses stretched his hand over the waters. They saw that God was with them in a pillar of fire for protection, but that he's also with them in a pillar of cloud that provides for their comfort, that provides them shade from the sun. And it takes them three days to start complaining because things aren't going their way. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute, a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. And he said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. 
I will put none of these diseases upon thee which have, brought, have come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, folks, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. The last of the ten plagues in Egypt was the death of the firstborn. And you remember that God gave Moses instruction that he passed along to the children of Israel that instituted the Passover. How that they would take a Passover lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost and around the door openings of their houses. They know that God instructed them to eat this Passover meal in a very specific and restricted way. He told them to eat the lamb and leave, and leave none of it till morning. And he said to take the lamb and eat the lamb for the strength of their journey. Now, folks, the Israelites, estimates I've seen on the size of the Israelites at this point in time, we're anywhere from two to seven million people. So if you take the most conservative estimate, the two million, these are people that have been slaves for generations, for a total of 430 years. Slaves are not the, the, the most well-fed or the healthiest group of people that you can find, are they? Yet the Bible says that God brought them forth out of Egypt and there was not one sick or feeble person among them. Now we know that the Bible tells us in several other occasions throughout this history of Israel, we know that there were places and uh, times that the Passover brought healing to the children of Israel. That healings took place in their bodies. Well, we would have no reason to expect Israel to look for healing from the Passover meal if it didn't contain healing in the first time that it was instituted. So here where it says the statute that God creates for them, if you'll hearken unto me, follow my commandments, then none of the diseases will come upon you which have come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That word healeth is in the past, is in the, the past perfect tense. And it means very simply that it can be referring to something that has happened or it can be in reference to something that will happen, will always happen, in other words. So he could be, God could be saying, I'm the one that healed you through the Passover meal and brought you out. Or he could just simply be saying, if you'll keep my commandments, then I'll make sure that sickness never takes part or takes hold of you. Either way would be a correct translation. And I'm inclined to think that it means both. And so he identifies for them through providing them water. This is a miraculous way that it takes place. All of Israel is looking for what Moses is going to do. What is he going to provide for them? And so he takes this tree, cuts it down, and throws the tree into the waters. 
Now, this is symbolic. The tree represents the cross of Jesus. And so it points toward a work of Jesus, a new covenant work, or a characteristic of the new covenant that God creates for us, which is healing for the physical body. Now, from there, go with me to Genesis chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 16. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. On the 15th day of the seventh month, after they've left Egypt. Folks, 45 days later. 42 days after God makes the waters of Marah drinkable. But 45 days after they've seen the greatest miracle that's ever taken place on the face of the earth. The parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of Egypt's armies. 45 days it takes them to start complaining about Moses. The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now would somebody explain to me why God chose these people? There are a couple of times in the history of Israel where God seems to question that of, of himself. But each time there was somebody, Moses mostly, but each time there was somebody to intercede for them and ask God to pardon them. So the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Ah, the good old days. When we were in bondage. Folks, you need to recognize that there's a, a significant part of the people of this world and even the Christians in this world that would rather be in bondage to have somebody tell them what to do. So that they don't have to think for themselves. So that they don't have to take responsibility for themselves. Because if somebody else is telling them what to do, then they've always got somebody to blame. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. These things happened. God instituted these things to happen to prove the, the people of Israel whether or not they would operate in faith or have that evil heart of unbelief that the Bible warns us against. So as he tells them about this bread, we know it's, uh, that manna is what results. Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, And in the morning then you shall see the glory of the Lord. For that 
he heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him, and what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. They're watching this happen. They're watching this bright cloud that just suddenly appears. And it's God in the midst. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At evening you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Well, that tells us what the purpose of this event is. To prove to the children of Israel that God is their God and, and that they are his people. So they're witnessing these things, seeing it with their own eyes. I'm sure there are some times where they're probably waiting to pinch themselves to see if this is really happening. But they're witnessing these things with their own eyes. And it came to pass that e as evening, at evening the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It was manna, for they wist not what it was. And the Lord said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. The word manna means wonder. So it was wonder bread. <laughs> I don't know if that's how wonder bread got their name. But that's what it means. It means wonder. So then it tells us about them co collecting it every day except for the Sabbath day and how God continued to, um, uh, to provide for them. Verse 27, it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See that for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the Sabbath day. Won't you see another one? Chapter 17. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journey according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore did the people chide. The word chide means to complain. Therefore did the people complain with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why complain you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now remember that's what ten of the twelve spies did. They provoked God. It's called the day of provocation. But they tempted him. God said that they tempted him ten times. One time for each of the ten spies. So here it is that they, when it began for them. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses. And said, wherefore is this 
that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with us, with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord and said, What shall I do unto these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel in thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river and take it in your hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there in the rock, upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding or complaining of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, folks, they're seeing this stuff. They see Moses hit this rock with the stick that he used for the Red Sea to open it for Israel and to close it upon the Egyptians. They're watching this take place. At what point do they come and and get some kind of clue that Moses is the best thing that they could possibly have? They never come to that place. They tempt the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? They've seen the ten plagues. They've seen the Red Sea part. They've seen the waters come back and destroy Pharaoh's army, the greatest army on the face of the earth, the superpower army among mankind. They've seen God purify the waters of Mara and create a statute and an ordinance for them that if they'll obey the word, God will keep them from being sick. He'll take sickness away from the midst of them. They've seen these things. And they go from situation after situation after situation. Always operating according to the same way. Nowhere do we find a scripture that says. And finally they understood that if they murmured against Moses. These were the things that would come on them. The evil things that would come on them. So they decided to follow God from their whole heart. That never happens. When in fact that's the very thing that God gave them his word and did these things for them. So that they would come to the place where they trust him. Then comes a different situation for them. Verse 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. That means they held his hands up for him. The one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then they make an altar there to God. Verse 15, And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. 
This means the Lord our banner, specifically the Lord our victory. So not only did God destroy the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, but when the situation arose where they were attacked by the Amalekites, God showed himself to be their, his victory, their victory, that he was their victory. What was this for? What was the purpose of God operating toward them in this way? So that they would come to know him and trust him. Chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Folks, things have been happening pretty quickly. This is in the third month. Now, in the third month means it's not more than 90 days. It could be anywhere from 60 to 90 days that this next thing takes place. But even if we go to the longest period, the 90th day, with God having provided for them water at Mara, manna and quail to eat every day, victory over the Amalekites, water from the rock of Horeb, What effect has this had upon the people? Basically none. They're still operating the way that they did before God provided for them and delivered them out of all these other things. So they come to the wilderness of Sinai and Moses speaks to the people on behalf of God. Verse 4, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar people, peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a nation of priests, a holy nation. Verse 8, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Well, they're finally saying the right thing. But do they back it up? Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the, unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people unto Mount Sinai. Now this would be at the most day 93. At the least it would be day 63. And he tells him to put boundaries around the mountain the foot of the mountain, the Mount Sinai. He re requires the people not to touch it, touch the mountain in any way whatsoever. And there gives the consequences for if they do. In verse 16, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud among the mountain. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mountain. 
and Mount Sinai was altogether a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And Moses went down and told them what God said. Now Moses is up there for 40 days. And he's receiving the, not only the Ten Commandments, but all the law of God. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord, which the Lord has said, will we do. Second time they commit to obeying the Lord. Verse 7, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Third time, they settle in and commit to obey God. Moses goes back up into the mountain. Verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work. This word paved means transparent or clear a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. That word clearness means brightness. So what I want you to understand, folks, is that not just Moses talked with God and saw his form. God set this up so that Israel, the whole of the congregation of Israel, could see God and see his glory. They saw the sapphire stone, the clear sapphire stone looking thing that he was standing on. They saw the heavens and the brightness of the heavens, which was the, the figure that he took for them to see. God's not trying to hide himself, folks. God wants himself to be seen. Verse 15, and Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord abode among, of, upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. They're watching this. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mountain. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto them, Up make us gods which shall go before us. 
For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. They've seen him up in the middle of that devouring fire for 40 days. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he has made it into a golden a molten calf. And they said, get this, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They've completely turned their back on what they saw in the ten plagues. I'll ask again, why in the world did God pick these people? Of course, the other hand, we have to recognize, I guess, that if God could make himself strong in the midst of these people, then it would be him and not them. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. This is the day of provocation. And all the things that we read about are the things that brought them to the place where Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. God has provided them healing. He's provided for them water in several places. He's provided food, daily food for them, bread in the morning and flesh in the evening. He's been their victor against the Amalekites. And they all know the way that victory came. It wasn't just Joshua taking the army and out fighting the enemy. They know that it was Moses holding up his hands. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Go ye up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether or not it's fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage. This is what Moses tells the 12 spies. Be ye of good courage and bring up the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first striped grapes, so they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as the men came to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron where Amahan and two other guys, the children of Anag were. And they came down into the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff 
and they brought the pomegranates under the figs. The place was called the Brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and in the cities, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coasts of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now verse 32 mentions the evil report. Remember Moses said in Hebrews chapter 3 that it was an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. Chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses. Here they go again. And against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Now the last time they felt that or had that uh, opinion God provided for them and brought them victory. But they didn't learn from the past victories. They didn't value the things that they saw with their own eyes. And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land? To fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? Remember one of the times before it said that they complained against Moses and they murmured against Moses and against God and said they tempted God and said, is the Lord among us or not? Well, they didn't know if he was with them at that time, but God proved that he was. But they're not remembering that. They're not letting those examples and those situations bring them into victory and become a comfort to them. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. They're not hearing what God has done. They're not hearing what the deliverance and provision of each of these past situations is to speak to them. So they said one to another, let us make us a captain and let us return to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Apparently there was still an opportunity for them to turn around. They could have gathered themselves and said, okay, wait a minute, let's think this through. When we came to land that didn't have water, God brought us water. Moses cast a tree into the water and the waters became pure. When we didn't have anything to eat, God brought us wonder bread and flesh in the evening. When we didn't have anything to drink at Mara, or at uh, Horeb, Moses struck the, water, the rock and water came through in such abundance that it took care of all the millions of people, however many millions you want to assume that it was. But there was water for their animals and the people. And then when we were attacked by the Amalekites, God brought us victory by Moses holding up his hands. They could have turned this thing around and said, well, okay, Moses, are you going to hold up your hands again while we do battle? That's how it worked the time before. Is that what's going to happen again? But folks, they let fear control them. I think one of the greatest things about living in these last days is the opportunity that we have to live free from fear. We don't have to be afraid of COVID or any other sickness or disease. We don't have to be afraid of the lack of provision. Biden inflation is not going to take us over. We can live free from fear from any and every source. No matter what restrictions they put on us. No matter what persecution they bring against the church. We can live free from fear. Because we've got a God that will never leave us and forsake us. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will I, these people provoke, provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me and all the signs which I have showed among them? Get that last phrase. How long is it going to be before they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? In other words, everything God did was done for the purpose of the people believing and trusting in him. So Moses intercedes for the people.
Verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. There's the evil heart of unbelief. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed will possess it. Verse 27, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Folks, if we fast forward to Jesus' ministry, there are times and things that are recorded in the, in the four Gospels that we need to take especially, a special care to, to understand. You remember in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is approached by the centurion. He says, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He passes up on Jesus' offer to come to his house. He simply says, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He said, I understand authority. I am a man under authority. And when I say to those that are under my authority to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. And Jesus marveled and said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus marveled at this centurion's faith. He's not an Israelite. We know he's a Roman soldier. And wherever he came from, whatever his background was, whatever his life experience turned out to be, he was able to manifest a faith that Jesus marveled in. And I think it's telling that Jesus made the statement, I have not found this faith, no, not in Israel. He's saying he didn't find any Jewish person, at least up until that point in his earthly ministry, that had come to the understanding of how faith works or how significant it is, how important it is to believe in God. Jesus upbraided disciples on several occasions. One was when they were afraid of the storm and they went and woke Jesus up in the back part of the ship, you remember? And Jesus spoke to the storm and told it to be still, and it was. He said, oh, ye of little faith, why did you not believe? That's interesting because he said, why didn't you believe? Meaning believing is a choice. He didn't say, I understand you couldn't believe. 
because you haven't been with me very long yet. He said, why didn't you believe? There was another occasion when Jesus was talking about himself being the bread of life. And his disciples got concerned. And they thought maybe he was talking about the fact that they had failed to bring bread and food with them on their journey. But he turns around and says, don't you remember the loaves and the fishes that fed the 5,000? He said, I'm not talking about natural food. I'm talking about spiritual food. And he upbraids them for their unbelief. Well, after all, Jesus could make something into food if he wanted to. He can turn water into wine. He can change the physical makeup of some other thing. He can make a, a, a rock into a loaf of bread if he wanted to. Situation after situation arises where the disciples have failed just like Israel did. They have failed to recognize the voice of the signs. God does supernatural things. God does miraculous things to speak to us about God's character, his nature, and his love to take care of his people. But in the day of provocation, where the ten spies speak against God and fail to recognize that God will deliver them, the enemies of Israel, into their hands, he speaks of two things that are enduring and that never change. One is that authority is, the, is exercised by the words that we speak. Tell Israel, God says to Moses, tell Israel that I will deal with them according to the words that they've spoken in my ears. In other words, your words count. Your words determine what you'll have. And then the other eternal law, eternal and unchanging law is that the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of God. What's our part? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, 
Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. One of the things that Jesus identified in his earthly ministry, that he wants you and I to hear and believe, is that God will always take care of us. Whatever we need, he will provide. Did you notice it said, therefore take no thought saying? It all comes down to our words. The exercise of our authority through the words that we speak. The second thing that God wants us to know and believe in in these last days is in John chapter 14. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Well, to believe is to have faith, isn't it? He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Folks, not only is God's provision available to us, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how things turn, no matter what laws are passed, no matter what opposition comes against us, no matter what work of the devil occurs, God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never open us up to be subject to any disease. He will never fail to meet our needs. He will never fail to be our victory. But he wants his glory to be seen and known. If God would do all the things that he did for Israel, if you just think about the things that happened at Mount Sinai, the thunderings, the earthquake, the continuous earthquake that took place, the devouring fire in the cloud on the top of the mountain, and the fact that they saw the image of God, the form of God, standing on a clear sapphire stone base and clothed in a brightness that's greater than the sun, why would he provide himself, produce a situation like that for him to be seen and known to the people if he didn't want to be seen and known? What does he want us to see and know? His provision and his glory.
the Bible speaks on several occasions. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established, the Bible says. He speaks on several occasions that there's a work that the Holy Spirit will do in these last days. That will bring forth the precious fruit of the earth. It will produce a wave of healing and miracles and mighty power. That will sweep millions of people into the kingdom of God. Because there's an eternal law. A law that never changes, never ends. He said the whole earth will be filled with the glory of his Lord, the glory of the Lord. When I think back to the Israelites and the things they had opportunity to witness. First the ten plagues. And even in the ten plagues, because God separated the land of Goshen from Egypt, they were not adversely affected by any of them. But they were witnesses to them. They were witnesses to the parting of the Red Sea. They were witnesses to the Egyptian army being destroyed. They were witnesses to God's miraculous provision of health, the provision for water on several occasions, the provision of manna and quail in the evening. They saw these things one after another. God always does things better greater in the last than he begins them in the first. If his glory manifested in all those things in the beginning of Israel's deliverance, then what do you think he's going to make known and make seen in the last days as he comes back for the church? Folks, I'm looking forward to a day, and I believe this is already the day that we're in, but I'm looking forward to this last day of the church where we're going to have to pinch ourselves to see if these things are really real. God is not hiding from us more than anything else. He wants to make himself known. But we've got a part to play in that. Whosoever shall believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And even greater works than these shall he do because they go unto my Father. That's the word of Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to believe your word. We are not like the Israelites who failed to recognize the importance 
of the things around us. We're not like those that say, is the Lord among us or not? Because your word says you never leave us or forsake us. We're not like those in Israel who turned back to false gods and shirked their responsibility to be a part of your family. But instead, Lord, we recognize that you will deal with us according to the words that we speak. But most importantly, we look to the fulfillment of the promise that the earth shall be filled with your glory. Manifest yourself, Father. Manifest the glory of the Lord in healings, signs and wonders and miracles, miracles of provision, windows of heaven blessings that there's not room enough to receive. Here we are, Lord. Use us. We stand ready to act on your word. We stand ready to see the glory of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Let's all